singing in the kitchen. You are listening to Redeemer Radio, a weekly conversation connecting the gospel of Jesus Christ to the questions and issues of everyday life. Hosted by the leaders of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Greetings, Redeemer family, and welcome back to Redeemer Radio. I am Pastor Ross, and this is season two now of the podcast. We're looking at the book, The Christmas We Didn't Expect by David Mathis. More about that in a minute. I'm excited to be joined again by Dan and Sean. I've missed having y'all on the podcast the last several weeks. Uh, it's good to have you guys back. Well, thanks for inviting us back. We thought you kind of got mad at us or something. I know. You didn't this want is us kind around. of a relief. Yeah, yeah. Come back from Thanksgiving and we're back at it. Guys. Yeah. No, no. It's good to have you back. Uh, are you guys Christmas music people? You guys into that? In my way. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's, <laughs> it just depends on the on the year, on the season, on the, what, what the weather's doing. If it's 75 degrees in December, as it can be in Raleigh sometimes, then Maybe not, but I don't know. All right. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Christmas music, and uh, I love going every year we go to a concert, Behold the Lamb by Andrew Peterson. Ah, yes, I still haven't done uh, that. That is amazing. It's my favorite Christmas tradition that we have that uh, we're going to try to carry on by a simulcast ah. this Saturday. So oh, cool. look for it if you want. It's oh, wow. going to be 7 p.m. Central Time, so 8 o'clock Eastern Time. Right. And you can uh, purchase tickets and watch it live from the Ryman this year. So, oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So I won't be there in person, but I'll still get to experience it. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe you've just answered my question is, what is your favorite Christmas album? Well, I think I need to, before we even do that, broach a really divisive issue. I, I mean, I know it's been a divisive year, but when do you believe it is right and allowable to begin listening to Christmas music? Hmm. I would say, man, I don't really have an answer for that. I, I know for me, I, I definitely try to keep it to after Thanksgiving, um, but I also get theologically why we would want to maybe even listen to it all year. Um, but, uh, you know, functionally, it's whenever Sarah wants to start listening to it. All right. I think if you ask Sheree Phillips, she would say that it was, yeah, all year long, January 1st to <laughs> January 1st. That would be her uh, her time frame. But I think for us, it's usually the day after Thanksgiving. We crank it up, crank up the tunes, and yeah. go for it. Yeah, I, I would have to say I was pretty strict on that in my younger years. Uh, we would travel up to Virginia to see my family. It was a 12-hour trip, and we would we could start Christmas music after we celebrated Thanksgiving and we're on the way home. Nice. But I've been worn down. Over the years, I've become uh, more liberal, and uh, <laughs> I will now listen to Christmas music kind of any time. And Anne Grace has started it earlier this year, so it's actually been fun. I've heard a lot of people doing that. Yeah, I think we need we need what the incarnation promises. So I think ah, a lot of people are drawn yes. to Christmas music. So having a, a strict law about that, I think, was unwise in my earlier years. Yes. So. So I know we'll get, we'll get emails about this. So just direct <laughs> them to Sean about this controversial topic about when you can actually start listening to Christmas music. Yeah, and my email address is dan at redeemerpca.net. <laughs> so, you, know, you can well reach played. me there. Yeah. Well played. Uh, favorite Christmas album, Sean? You know, I'm going to go m- full millennial here and say that it's not necessarily an album, but I just create my own on Spotify. And 
Come on, man. I have a playlist. Come of, on, uh, man. Right now, we are listening to a lot of We're Mickey little... Mouse Christmas music. Ah. And, you know, them singing the ca- traditional carols. Oh, wow. Uh, but with the characters because of Lily. She's, she loves Disney Great. right now. So we've okay. been listening Check that out. to a lot of the classics on a playlist on Spotify. Not to be too millennial there. but. All right. Dan? Yeah, I would say Behold the Lamb, though it's not a traditional Christmas album. Um, I would say another one that I listen to a lot is uh, the Westminster Brasses Christmas album. Ah. Uh, my mentor Tim Whitmer was a uh, was the tuba player for that, and so yes, I know it's on CD, but it's now digital on my computer somewhere, and I often pull that one out and listen to it. Cool. Well, I got to go with my man Michael W. Smith. I am I'm a big fan. Grew up listening to him in all different ways, but uh, man, he's got four Christmas albums. But his first one, it came out in the 80s. It's just called, I think, Christmas. I, I still, to this day, uh, can't get enough of it. Wow. 30 years okay. later, uh, just the originality of it. Um, you know, he has a couple covers on it, but the covers are done in a very creative and new way. Um, but lots of originals on it. And probably my favorite Christmas song of all, All Is Well, is on that. It's a very worshipful album. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like the way you, you just see his passion come through in the album and it, it really um uh, just has a unique way to take me into a place of worship and then it's also nostalgic that's part of the reason i like sure. it it yeah. brings me back sean will add it to his playlist now there yes so add it on spotify do it it's it's good mickey and michael all right so getting to the topic of the day this book uh dan you mind just tell us a little bit about the book that we're going to be talking about yeah so david mathis wrote a book entitled Habits of Grace, Enjoying Jesus Through the Spiritual Disciplines that um, I'm sure all of you remember me blogging about way back when and talking about it. But uh, I love that he took a uh, familiar idea of the means of grace, uh, reading the word, listening to the word, uh, praying the word, and he he just put twists on it like that we have these well-worn paths that we have access to the Father. So we have his ear, we get to hear his voice, and so I just liked how he, he wrote about those things. And then I saw uh, through the Good Book Company that he had made this uh, devotional, and kind of taking one, 24 chapters, one day a week in the month of December to direct our eyes towards the incarnation. Um, so um, now with that, you know, I'm reading it. We're reading through it together. I haven't gone ahead and read all 24 chapters yet. Uh, we're going to do it together as a team. And I think it'll be helpful to think through what's often common and familiar and hopefully some fresh ways the way he did the other yeah. book. That's what I hope for it. Great. So I'm going to start and uh, talk a little bit about the intro in chapter one. We're going to look at basically chapters one through three today and then um, just go kind of each week when we drop an episode, it'll, we'll talk about the episode, the chapters that will have been covered up to then. So even before the intro, though, I'm going to talk a little bit. His preface had a few things that were worth mentioning, the preface of the book, where he kind of talks about Advent in general and why it might be wise to have some Advent practices. I know not all believers do that, but um, he gives some good reasons. He, He talks about how practicing, having some Advent practices helps us practice waiting. You know, it's an ancient invitation to slow down mm. and to relearn an unhurried pace of life. And I thought that was a good reminder that it, it helps us kind of slow down and anticipate 
um, and, and really dwell upon the, the wonder of the incarnation. He also does a good job of just talking about that this is an opportunity for us. It's not an obligation. There's no command in Scripture to have Advent practices, um, but it's just it's a helpful practice to cultivate worship within us. Um, it's, it's, you know, we, d- we don't want to be legalistic about it, um, but it's helpful. And he even draws out how for the early church, especially the Jewish converts, that they started doing some Advent practices then uh, because the, you know, the newness of the new covenant age, it was important for them to kind of reinforce that, especially for the, the Jewish Christians who were coming out of all their customs of the old covenant and just how radically new, um, you know, having Christ was. So, so in the incarnation, I thought that was really helpful perspective because today we just take it for granted. I mean, this is the water we swim in right. uh, where we haven't had that kind of experience. So his prayer for this book is that these would be daily meditations to help us keep Jesus as central and the greatest treasure of Advent season. And I think in our, um, in our day where... Um, Jesus, I feel like, is being taken more and more out of Christmas season. I think this is a good reminder. So the introduction of the book, moving on to that, he talks a lot about just the enchantment of Christmas, and he's going to use this to sort of set up this idea of, you know, he's going to just show all these different angles of how Christmas um, kind of uh, uh, exceeds our expectations and, and um, is different than what we might expect. That's the title of the book, obviously. And so talking about the enchantment of Christmas helps him get at that. And just he observes how even in our culture, there's such an enchantment around the Christmas season. There's a magnetism and an allure, and there's almost this magic about it. And and he's he's struck by how even in an increasingly post-Christian world, he asks the question, why does Christmas still have this magnetism in a society that's tried to empty mm. Christmas of its true meaning? I thought that was a really good question that I'm still myself pondering. Um, and what what is it about this season that even though they don't celebrate Christ in it, that there's still this enchantment? And, you know, he, char- he starts to answer it by just saying, you know, the original story of Christmas is a deeply enchanting story. At the very heart is the essence of the supernatural. It's God entering our realm. And so he talks about how deep down, even our secular society is starving for something beyond the natural, beyond this world. And Christmas taps into something hidden in the human soul, and it woos us. And I think that that is a really, um, really insightful um, observation he makes. And I think even for me, it, I think it just it encourages me to, to pay attention to the enchantment that we see um, our society have around Christmas through the decorations, through the music, um, all different things, the joy you see in people's uh, faces. And I want to let that point me and point us to what is most enchanting about Christmas. It's, it's a way to just be continually pointed to just how uh, magical it is. And so he asks, what is so magical about Christmas to the Christian? And the magic is not just that God himself came from heaven and, and entered the story it's not just that he humbled himself and was a servant. He came to serve, not be served. It's not just that he died, but it's all those things and the reason he did it. It was to, he did all of this to rescue his people. And so that is what kind of captures the magic of Christmas. And so then he goes on into each 
chapter. So chapter. So the first section of the book is chapters one through three, where he calls it an unexpected birth. Um, in chapter one, he talks about the Magnificat, the the Song of Mary. In Luke chapter one, he he talks about how um, he's always thought of Mary's song as kind of like a personal journal entry of Mary. Um, you know, certainly Mary didn't know much about Jesus at this point. She knows a little bit from the angel and then talking to uh, her aunt Elizabeth. It's her aunt, right, Elizabeth? Or is that her cousin? can't remember. Trivia question for you all. I think it's her aunt. Uh, I'll have to check that later. But anyways, uh, Luke treats, you know, he kind of... David, as he's writing, he's like, these words are kind of like a journal entry maybe, but but he sees how seriously Luke treats the words of Mary's song. It's the very high point of chapter one of Luke, her song is, and it's some of the most important Christmas lines ever penned, Um, and it gives a profound glimpse into the heart of God. So I'm actually going to read Mary's song in Luke 1. Verses 46 to 55, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And obviously, he only each chapter is only about two or three pages, so he just draws a couple things out of this passage. The first thing he points out is that this, this is written like a psalm in the Old Testament, which shows this is not a personal journal entry of Mary. This is a song that is written for the people of God, like the Psalms are. They're not, you know, just David's personal journals. They are they are written uh, for to to bring us up into worship of God as God's people. And then he kind of works his way backwards. He he looks at the second half of the song first, and then looks at the beginning. But the second half of the song, verses forty nine to the end, are kind of the heart of the song, and they're very, if you notice, very utterly God centered. There's a lot of verbs in verses 49 to 59, and they all have the same subject, and the subject is God. And so it's just a celebration of the kind of God that he is. And and it starts off in that section saying, holy is God's name. And so, you know, David talks about how there's one aspect of God's holiness and what holiness means that, that Mary really focuses on, and that's the otherness of God, that by being holy, one of the things that means about God is that he is other. He is of an order altogether different and greater than his creatures, and he acts contrary to human intuition. And so, you know, the rest of his section shows that how this aspect of his holiness uh, and a, this specific aspect of his holiness, that he rallies to the weak and not the strong. And that's one of the ways God shows that he is, you know, an altogether different and greater than his creatures and that he rallies to the weak and not the strong which is different than how humans naturally uh, function. And so Christmas turns the world upside down. I mean, there's six examples of this in Mary's song. God scatters the proud. He brings down the mighty from their thrones. He exalts the humble. 
like the forgotten town of Nazareth and the unwed young woman carrying a child conceived without a human father. He fills the hungry. Uh, the rich are sent away empty, and he helps his servant Israel. And so she's just really magnifying this, how God uh, takes what is weak in the world to shame the strong and, and, and works in a way contrary to you know, normal human intuition. And how true is this to our experience of God? Uh, just not only that he you know, takes what is weak to shame the strong, but just that he uh, works in ways way beyond our comprehension. I, I'll never forget a seminary professor of mine as we were in a class on a, you know, a survey of the Bible, and we're kind of going in from the Old into the New Testament, looking at the Incarnation. He just stops and he says, friends, God always surprises. He always surprises. And you look at even from the beginning, he, he, he chooses Abraham out of this very adulterous nation, and his wife is barren, and yet Abraham's going to be the father of many. And then there's David, the youngest son. There's Samson and all the ways that he used Samson. Um, and, and, and the list goes on. But God always surprises. Just when we think we've got God figured out, um, he's always going to, to do things his own way. And, and the incarnation is probably the epitome of that. Um, and so this is helpful and encouraging to me, just all, all these ideas that Mathis draws out of this beautiful song of Mary. I think personally, for me, I can be very aware of my weakness. Uh, I can tend to dwell on uh, my shortcomings, my weakness, and then let those discourage me more than I ought. And so, you know, this this song encourages me to embrace my weakness, and that 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 is where God is going to use me the most. And I can also be kind of a control freak, and uh, and want to really have an idea of where things are going in our world or in my life. And, and this reminds me uh, to trust uh, that God is going to carry things out in his own wise way, um, often very differently than I would. Mm. And I think interpersonally, you know, we're called to love what God loves. And, and we see in this song of Mary that God loves uh, those who are weak and despised in the world. And, and it kind of makes me reflect on my own life, how much, how much of my love of people is, is uh, towards those kind of people. Or how much am I just trying to love those who are easy to love? And then it also just gives perspective on 2020 this year. You know, who knows how God can use everything that's gone on in this year uh, to bring much glory to himself. I think this passage, uh, you know, reinforces our trust in that. So I think we would do well this Advent to march to the beat of Mary's song um, more than the music of this world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's ways that all of us are heavy laden where we're, many of us are weary and we feel our weakness. And so this song teaches us and reminds us to take heart. Mm. Uh, God has us right where he wants us and, and he's going to bring glory to himself. So that's chapter introduction in chapter one. Sean, tell us about chapter two. Well, hold on, hold on. I want to butt in here. Okay. Like, yeah. I thought all there right. was something. One of all the things right. that I love about... Um, Mary's song is that it seems like it's framed around Hannah's song from First ah. Samuel, uh, and the reason I like that is because she probably grew up hearing that and yeah. knowing that and memorizing it, and she took scripture and made it her own. Yeah, and she was able to take the song of scripture and essentially write her own psalm. And so even even as we sometimes maybe struggle in 2020 to know how to express what we're thinking and feeling, a great way is to go 
to a psalm or a song like this, something that you kind of know, and then say, how does this translate into my life? And that's what she was doing. And so I think that could be a good practice for us, even this Christmas season, to be thinking about how can we, what, what's a psalm or a Chris, Christmas song that we can write that it expresses what we're feeling and what we're hoping for and experiencing. So, Yeah, now that's a very redemptive interjection. Dan, I'll, I one it. one last one, but and then I'll tra- I'll go ahead and transition transition us. But one, I mean, my one. This is one of my favorite lines of of scripture. Period. When she says that my soul magnifies the Lord, mm, yeah, that just this the word soul there speaks to a depth that we have a hard time experiencing here, right? And like we have a hard time feeling like we are intimately connected on beyond a, just a physical level, but on a spiritual level um, yeah. with with God. And and that's a this is a beautiful thing to remember that. We are connected body and soul uh, to 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 God, and um, and it's through Jesus that that even happens. And so, chapter two or day two, I guess I don't know. However, yeah. we're gonna talk about that. Really talks about Jesus and re- really gets our focus uh, squarely onto Jesus. The, the title is the Eternity Before Christmas, which is kind of like a it's kind of a fun turn of phrase. But um, he starts off by uh, highlighting John. Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Mm. He was in the beginning with God. These are just, these are these are words that force you to slow down. Oh. Uh, like we talked about from the pre- preface or introduction, you know, this is a season of waiting, but it also teaches us to slow down and to um, just really bask in the truth that Jesus reveals about himself in Scripture. And so this this chapter is focused on on Jesus, and the three kind of main parts that that Mathis uh, touches on is that Jesus existed before the incarnation, he existed before creation itself, and that he is preexistent uh, because he is actually God. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are really important things to remember. That right right off the right off the bat, he says the glory of Christmas is not uh, is that it is not the beginning of Christ. Long before that first Christmas, his story had begun, not just in various prophecies, but in an eternal divine person. Christmas may be the opening of the climactic chapter, but it is certainly not his first. Hmm. So Jesus exists in eternity. Um, That alone, like you were talking (laughs) about the humility that that drives us to uh, worship God in in this season, that alone should bring us to this humility that he didn't just become man, he was man and God at the same time. Um, And he chose to break in and enter into our story to rescue us. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Crazy stuff, right? Like mind blowing, like. That's right. Instead of just a cute little baby in cloths, we have the eternal God in the form of a baby, 100% God, 100% man. Yeah, it's, it's mind blowing. We make something a little that's stretches our ability to grasp into something almost sometimes too sentimental. Yeah, definitely. He was he was not created like like we were. Right. He came. He yeah. he he entered into the story. And so um really, you know, who who are we worshiping? Who is this King Jesus? Was mm. he just a great religious ruler and and leader or was he was he God and is he mm. still God? And he's unchanging even though he uh broke into the story. I mean, it's just it should ca- like this is I'm glad I got this chapter because this is what I need. This is what I need is to mm. slow down and really just like think about that and, and try and wrap my mind around that. And, and, and the fact that I can't actually should lead me to worship him because he is yeah. ungraspable. And it's just a, a what a what a beautiful uh, truth that he even though he was in the best place that he could have ever been, he chose to break in and, and come and, and humble himself in that way. Um, so, yeah, Mathis goes on. He talks about uh, the fact that he existed before the incarnation. 
uh, in John 8, when Jesus reveals this uh, to the crowd that's listening, uh, the Jews throw stones at him when he says this, when he when he makes this claim. Like, it was that crazy of a claim. And I think maybe we pass over it because we mm-hmm. are busy and my list for what I need to buy for Christmas is so long and how are we going to fit in all the traditions and all of the... But for Jesus to make these claims, these things that we take for granted now, he was literally... He had thr- stones thrown at him. Mm-hmm. There are very few things I'd be willing to say out loud if I knew the stones would be thrown at me. Um, and yet he's making these bold claims in Scripture. He's saying this stuff about himself. Um, like, wow, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> He put he put himself in in great risk, uh, at great risk, uh, just to share the truth about himself and ultimately about his father, about God. Um, so Mathis goes on. He, he says under under kind of under this heading, he existed before the incarnation. He talks about how he came, he became, he was sent, and he was given. So mm-hmm. it's sort of the he sort of marches through the story of Jesus. He came, um, that you know he he broke into the story. Uh, he became when it. When it says that he became, he talks about how uh, becoming wouldn't, necess- wouldn't necessarily mean that he pre-existed. Uh, the key is to ask uh, what he was before he came. He was divinely rich and became humanly poor. He was in the form of God, and then he took the form of a servant, uh, one who was uh, infinitely high because he was God. He became a little lower than the angels because he became man. Um, again, these are this is active language. He's choosing this um, on our behalf. And then he was sent. So the Old Testament prophets, uh, this is what Mathis says. He says the Old Testament prophets were sent without pre-existing, but not so with God's own son. So he's he, he's making the distinction here between the prophets who the Jews would have just marveled in, right? Like they would have talked about them like they were their heroes, their idols. Um, and yet Jesus is other than even the prophets. And so it's, it's, a, it's significant that that is part of uh, the story that is revealed in the Gospels as well. And then finally, he was given. Uh, this is... Ultimately, what a gi- I mean, what a gift to yeah. remember in a time of receiving and giving gifts. He is Jesus is the ultimate gift, right? Um, and so when it says he, when he talks about being, uh, you know, Jesus being given, it says finally and perhaps most memorably, the preexistent Christ was given. This is the famous verse, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Uh, the sacrifice of the sacrifice of Christ loses its force as an expression of God's love if Jesus did not pre-exist in His incarnation. Um, you know, we can give the most thoughtful, the most uh, expensive, um, even the most clever gift, and it would never ever compare or measure up uh, to the the fact that Christ Jesus was given for us on behalf of us, uh, for our sake. Um, yeah, so this first heading, he existed before the incarnation. This is important to remember. He's not just a, a great ruler. He's not just a great leader. Um, he he is God. He existed from the found from before the foundation of the world. Then he goes on to talk about how he existed before creation. Uh, not only did Christ pre-exist that first Christmas, he also pre-existed all creation. Um, and then it, he he kind of goes through and reads from John one uh, again. Um, it's a, and then he says, "Human flesh didn't become the world. The eternal Word became flesh." Um, and then he talks about how Jesus prays in John 17, 5. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Mm. So this is all, like all of Jesus, his, his mission, his life is about bringing uh, glory to God. It's not about, it's, it, yes, he came to rescue us, but why did he come to rescue us? Because we were created by God. We were mm. created by God and Jesus and the Spirit all working in tandem perfectly. Mm. Um, and, and that's what, that's the, that was the mission of Jesus's life, right? Um, just two profound points. Um, and then lastly, he kind of talks about how he is preexistent because 
he is God. So really just like rounding out this, this nature and character, uh, the nature of Jesus, um, which is the fact that uh, because he was with God, because he chose to come down, um, and, and it's actually really significant that he um, existed outside of how we understand time and space, uh, because that makes his sacrifice actually matter, right? That makes the power that he wielded while he was on earth, it is otherworldly. It is something we cannot actually grasp. Um, and so he talks about how he is first and last, alpha and omega, because he is God. No formal distinction can be made between deity and preexistence. That's, that's a quote from Donald McLeod. And then he says, he kind of closes out the chapter with, Christmas is far more than the celebration of a great man's birth. God himself and the second person of the Godhead entered into our space and into our frail humanity, surrounded by our sin, to rescue us. He came. He became one of us. God sent God. The Father gave his own Son for us for our salvation. And so the way it impacts me, the way this chapter really causes me to slow down um, and, 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 and just deal with the magnificence of Jesus, it, it allows me to get outside of myself, to think about all that I wanted to accomplish in 2020 and how all my hopes and dreams were dashed by a pandemic. And uh, maybe not all my hopes, and that's probably a little dramatic, but you, you, get, the, you get the idea, yeah. right? 2020 is going to be a, a, a catchphrase used on into, into the ages, right? Yeah. Um, how this was just an unprecedented year. It causes me to slow down and realize that all of these truths about Jesus haven't changed. They right. haven't changed one bit. And what good news for us yeah. that, um, that that's true. Um, yeah. this, this, this chapter really just it just hit me like a like a like a wall of bricks right like just slow down and just stop and behold mm. uh, who this who this Jesus is right yeah. yeah no that's that's a great great uh, summary Sean I kind of going back to something you said earlier from that chapter I, I think I was uh, brought up into just the Trinitarian nature of the incarnation I think that you know the point that Mathis makes about you know, he wasn't just, he didn't just come, he was also given. Um, we all know that, but I think we can, at least for me, my my worship at Christmas is very much centered around Christ, which it should be, but I, I think we can forget how much the Father was involved as well and that he mm -hmm. gave. I love that, how you drew that point out, um, and that was really helpful to me as well. But yeah, no, that was, that was great. Um, Dan, any other thoughts on chapter two? Are you ready to take us into chapter three? Sure. Yeah, I think we can jump into three. I, I, you know, for me, this is a this is a lead-in, believe it or not, to chapter three, the glory of his virgin birth. I, I mean, I love everything about Christmas. I love Christmas trees, lights, tradition, all those things. And, uh, I mean, you mentioned it. Like, Advent isn't aren't holy days. Christmas isn't a holy day. I came from a liturgical church where those things were. And I have no desire to return to that kind of thing. But this is a time when everyone, I love that imagery gave kind of the magic of Christmas, the wooing of us. This is a time where I think we can intentionally focus on the incarnation and some of this great biblical truth and use it as a means for conversations with others about the gospel. Yeah. You know? I think this is a time, I mean, just even thinking about in this year will be probably different, but our Christmas Eve service where it's the most crowded service we've had in all the years and just so many strangers, so many family members, so many guests because there's something about this time of year. Even if it's tradition, there's a longing for more. And at the heart of that with this coming, I mean, he comes in the virgin birth. I mean, he comes as this child, which is uh, really is 
glorious and overwhelming again, like the eternity of Christ. But how and why did God do it that way? I mean, it's not explicitly stated. I think we we understand some of it. And then, you know, Luke was a doctor and Matthew was a sharp guy. He could sniff out a lie. I mean, he was a, a tax collector. They knew where babies came from. Like this wasn't just some superstitious nature of they people didn't think this all the time i mean this was one prophesied in the old testament but also um, this intervening of god into time and space and it's trinitarian too luke 1 to 35 has this statement the holy spirit second person of the trinity will come upon you mary and the power of the most high god almighty will overshadow you therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Again, there's that Trinitarian picture of what God is doing in the the fourfold story of creation, fall, redemption, and then consummation. And here we are at the, in many ways, the opening chapters of of this, uh, I don't want to say opening, but the next chapter of the redemption. So it's it immediately is supernatural. We know this isn't how things ordinarily happen. God interacted through the Spirit, conceived the child in her womb. But but why? Like what is we don't know his motivation why, but what are some of the reasons that that happens? And and Mathis hits on those. Uh essentially that here we're seeing God by the Spirit take form in a child. So we see Philippians two where Paul kind of talked about how he took the very form of a nature very nature of a servant and not being you know though he was equal with God he didn't take that as a privilege he humbled himself and in doing that we see he is able to actually be the mediator right because he's 100% God 100% man so he he can stand in that gap for us as the one who will go through life and who will experience temptation and yet he will be the one who will never sin because he is God. He can keep the covenant that was established from the beginning. And so we see here, this is God's perfect solution. We could have never thought that up. But God in his wisdom said from the very beginning, Genesis 3, I'm going to send through the seed of a woman. And then later we'll find out that it's going to be this gift of God. I mean, that, that's just mind-blowing again, that this is how God comes to us and again he didn't ask mary's permission right this isn't god hey mary you okay if we do it this way i mean he says this is what's happening and you're going to carry this child and i'm going to show my glory through this and the hardship she was going to go through I, i haven't peeked ahead very much but again just thinking being in that place you're going to carry a child and everyone going to think is going to think you are immoral and yet she's carrying the Holy Son of God. I, I, just the tension and the frustration, that feels like a little bit of like 2020, right? I mean, hmm. um, some of that that dissonance of what life is supposed to be like. You know, and it really is. He goes on and talks about, do we need to believe this? Do we have to believe this? And he and essentially says, well, yeah, because God said this is what happened. And for a long time, there's been contention about this truth and he makes an interesting statement. Um, dismissal of the virgin birth is seldom the end of an individual's theological pilgrimage. So what he's saying there, obviously, if you begin to 
to choose which miraculous events, supernatural events in the Bible are true, you're going to begin to go down a path where you end up making your own God and determining what, what really happened in the Bible. Yeah. Um, you know, Thomas Jefferson, if you know the story, like cut out all the parts of the Bible he didn't like and made his own. And that's a similar pilgrimage. And so, yeah, it's the glory of the incarnation or the virgin birth because it is so supernatural and shocking and it really is unbelievable, much like a resurrection from a grave after three days or healing someone who's blind or raising someone from the dead. So for me, as I was just reflecting on this, again, it reminds me of the glory of God's plan of redemption for us, that it's beyond what we can imagine and trying to get into their shoes and thinking, how did it feel in that moment was not sweet and, and, and special. Like she was chosen would have felt there would have been suffering and, and persecution in different ways and isolation. Um, And that she was willing to do that. And then was able to, to sing this great song of trust in the Lord. I, I do like his, prayer at the end of each chapter he writes a little prayer and he says father we adore your son we marvel at his peculiar glory as the god man fully divine fully human conceived of the holy spirit in one spectacular pre-existent incarnate and now reigning person that's a lot in that sentence and i think to slow down and to think about the beauty of what christ has done to have a deep christology is what we're talking about here is so needed for us and right now um, to come back to the foundations of our faith and the glory and majesty of Christ, the God man who would redeem us. It was, it's been fun to kind of reflect on this with you guys. I'm looking forward to more and slowing down and just having conversations. So I hope you listeners will have some conversations too. If you want grab the book, if you don't have it yet, uh, grab it on Kindle, grab it hard copy and, and just work through it with us and even email us your thoughts about what you're reading. It'd be great to, yeah, to be able to, to have you involved in that way too because this really is a family conversation sitting yep. around thinking about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Yes. Well, thank you, Dan and Sean. I hope that uh, I know that we have all enjoyed this book so far and this conversation. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. So next week we'll be back and we'll look at chapters 4 through 10. And hopefully we will see you next time, friends and family on Redeemer Radio. Grace and peace to you all.